It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. This morning... A gunman opened fire on members of Congress and their staffs as they were practicing for tomorrow's annual charity baseball game. Authorities are continuing to investigate the crime, and the assailant has now died from his injuries. The FBI is leading the investigation and will continue to provide updates as new information becomes available. Congressman Steve Scalise, a member of House leadership, was shot and badly wounded and is now in stable condition at the hospital, along with two very courageous Capitol Police officers. At least two others were also wounded. Many lives would have been lost if not for the heroic actions of the two Capitol Police officers who took down the gunman despite sustaining gunshot wounds during a very, very brutal assault. Melania and I are grateful for their heroism and praying for the swift recovery of all victims. Congressman Scalise is a friend, and a very good friend. He's a patriot, and he's a fighter. He will recover from this assault. And Steve, I want you to know that you have the prayers, not only of the entire city behind you, but of an entire nation, and frankly, the entire world. America is praying for you, and America is praying for all of the victims of this terrible shooting. I spoke with Steve's wife, Jennifer, and I pledge to her our full and absolute support, anything she needs. We're with her and with the entire Scalise family. I have also spoken with Chief Matthew Verderosa, He's doing a fantastic job of the Capitol Police to express our sympathies for his wounded officers and to express my admiration for their courage. Our brave Capitol Police perform a challenging job with incredible skill, and their sacrifice makes democracy possible. All right, I wanted to take you back to that day. That was June 14th of 2017. It was a Wednesday. Uh, Alexandria, Virginia, which is a really lovely community just south of the Pentagon, not far, of course, from, from the district. And uh, the Republican delegation, or many of the, those that like to play baseball, 
were on the field in Alexandria practicing for the con- annual congressional game. It happens every year, at least it used to, and when things were normal between the, the Democrats and the Republicans in the House. Uh, they played baseball uh, in the big stadium in downtown D.C. And um, so they were practicing when uh, James Hodgkinson, who was a Bernie Sanders supporter, a leftist who hated Donald Trump and hated Republicans, Ask someone in the parking lot there, who is that Republicans or Democrats out there practicing? And he was told again, I think it was uh, uh, it was the congressman from Alabama, Mo, Mo, um, Mo Brooks. I think he was the one that was asked. He was leaving the field for some reason early. And uh, James then took his guns and he had lots of weaponry and began to shoot. Uh, he had planned a massacre. And if it had not been for the two Capitol policemen who happened to be there and who did take fire, uh, and actually killed James Hodgkinson, uh, there would be there would have been an absolute massacre of those Republicans just playing baseball on the field in Alexandria, Virginia. It was a real shock. Uh, and you may recall that I played at great length uh, the after the investigation was done. Of course, Hodgkinson was killed right there, so it didn't really take long. They didn't have to figure out who did it. The FBI did a press conference, and I will never forget the agent because he was very smug and arrogant. And he refused to say that James Hodgkinson Hodgkinson was a Bernie supporter and that he hated Donald Trump and hated Republicans and hated policies of the conservatives. He refused to say that. Instead, he said that he was always having trouble at home. He was a disturbed... This is the act of like a disturbed individual just, uh, you know, who was uh, had domestic problems, and so therefore he had... Uh, perpetrated this act. That's how this started. I remember I was furious because um, because I believe my husband was still active duty FBI then, and it was just unbelievable. So um, then the FBI ends up designating this, what should have been a huge story in the news, was not. It was downplayed. It was uh, hardly mentioned. And the fact that what I heard on various outlets and channels was criticism of Steve Scalise because of his policies. Because Steve Scalise was shot and nearly killed. Went through all these surgeries. Will will never be 100% of what he was, but he did recover. He almost died, but he recovered. He's still serving in the House. It was a tragic situation. It was an unbelievable situation. If it had happened to Democrats... We, you would know all their names, and you'd probably have them carved in your right arm, you know, or they'd be, you know, on your flagpole or something. Uh, but you don't even know hardly about this because the FBI downplayed it, and so did the media. And they designated this a suicide by cop. So James Hodgkinson was so depressed, we recall, that's what the FBI agent said, that, you know, he went out and he just was just exasperated with his home life, and so uh, he committed suicide by cop. Well... Uh, because so much flack came down when that was leaked, that was actually came out in a, a, re- a hearing recently, that that's how the FBI had classified that. And there was a lot of, uh, let's say, reaction to that by Republicans still serving in the House. And so I guess the FBI felt a little bit of the heat. So uh, Chris Ray, the, the, the patriot that he is, the trustworthy head of the FBI, not uh, made a phone call to one of those, Representative Brad Winstrup uh, of Ohio, who was at the park and was the one that saved Scalise's life by um, uh, provi- providing a tourniquet and stopping the bleeding. Uh, he was one of the ones that was appalled when he found that they, the FBI had uh, classified this suicide by, co- suicide by cop. And so Chris Ray called him to say, you know, we, we've reviewed things, and 
you know, maybe maybe we'll change this. I think we're going to change this to a domestic violent extremist. We'll say it was a domestic violent extremist. And so that was the carrot that they threw, you know, how many years later? Let's see. Okay. So four or five years later. Uh, so, um, but of course, then the FBI after that went on to talk more and more about domestic extremism. And I have to tell you, this started during the Obama age, uh, talking about domestic violent extremists. And that's, you know, they used to talk about um, the Islamic extremists. And then there was this great attempt to say, no, our greatest threat is from homegrown extremists like white supremacists and those kinds of extremists. Never mind that jihadis were beheading Americans and uh, slashing them with knives randomly and blowing things up. But uh, the, the FBI even then was saying, oh, no, no, but our biggest threat is from, uh, you know, uh, white supremacists, Ku Klux Klan and so forth. Even though, even on record, there's so few members of the Ku Klux Klan now, so few incidents uh, and so, by comparison. Nevertheless, that's the delusion that uh, was started at all. And, of course, no one could really see how bad it was going to get. Uh, it's gotten so bad that now uh, we had an election in November of 2020, and there was a huge dispute in all these states about that election. And so people showed up uh, at the Capitol because they wanted to support President Trump. They thought that uh, the the Congress would actually, since the courts would not do it, that the Congress would finally uh, ask that there be investigations in various states and that the electors be not certified until some investigation was done. It was not too much to ask. It had been done many times before by Democrats in other elections. Other elections, uh, but somehow that was painted as some sort of a you know unconstitutional anarchist move. And the people that went to the Capitol on January sixth, some of them actually went to the Capitol and some of them went inside, and now we're learning that some of them broke into the Capitol. But it looks to me like, I would say, and I don't know this for sure, but from my own reading and observation, that the majority of the people got in without having to break into anywhere and were very, very peaceful. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. In fact, our Senator Ron Johnson is going to join us in just a few minutes, and we're going to have a fuller discussion of that. But my larger point is that as a result of the the uh, the and there was some violence. Not vi- the only violence really was uh, killing Ashley Babbitt by a Capitol policeman or someone uh, who was a Secret Service agent. We're not sure. It's unclear. That was the only violence on that day. There was some fighting, if you want to call that violence. I guess you could call it that. People did not really have weapons, in spite of what uh, is being reported by the left. Uh, but. Uh, they're, they're now labeled insurrectionists, and that's been the language that's been adapted. Uh, it's been twisted to the point that those people that went into the Capitol, even if they didn't do any kind of violent acts, many of them have been interrogated, uh, their personal records abused, a Bank of America helping, uh, to, and, and also cell phone services to track innocent people in their travels just because they were at that rally for President Trump. Uh, so civil liberties have been uh, uh, abused, plus people have been arrested and are held without bail. That's a civil liberty being abused. Uh, and now these people that have been arrested are counted as violent domestic terrorists. Uh, and the people that actually even went on January 6th, the brush gets broader. It is people that don't believe the election was rightly decided, but that believe there was there were really bad things that happened in various states and need to be investigated. That's a reason for you to be in this category of domestic extremists. 
Uh, and then in addition to that, if you uh, were there on January 6th, you're the worst domestic extremist. So we're facing a situation where this categorizing of all of us is probably, if the left has its way, is going to manifest itself first as travel restrictions, privileges removed, investigations, I, the unleashing of the IRS. It's, it's really uh, the beginning of a nightmare, all you know, uh, supported by your FBI, your Department of Homeland Security. Uh, and as a matter of fact, to give you uh, even con- congrats, if you remember why, wonder why Congress, members of Congress are so quiet, uh, they are uh, under attack themselves. Uh, Friday, this past Friday, um, the Democrat from Rhode Island, David Cicilline, uh, moved to censure three Republicans for downplaying January 6th. They're, he wants to censure them for downplaying it. Uh, it's uh, Repres- Representative Andrew Clyde from Georgia, Jody Heiss from Georgia, and Paul, Go- Paul Gosar from Arizona because of their remarks at a House Oversight and Reform Committee. These three members dangerously mischaracterized what happened that day and showed more sympathy for the domestic terrorists than the Capitol Police officers who died during the attack. That's what he wrote. Could I just say, as a matter of factual, uh, no Capitol Police officer died during the attack. None. None. Brian Cichlick died later, and uh, it was not related to any injuries sustained on that day. That was a complete fiction. Uh, another man uh, committed suicide a few days later, and we don't know if that was the reason. But that's what they want you to believe. But no one died during the attack. That's a lie. But um, So now he wants them to be censured because they downplayed January 6th. Uh, other House Democrats have introduced resolutions to censure uh, Representatives Louis Gohmert and Mo Brooks of Alabama for making false claims that the election had been stolen from Trump. You see how this goes, and now the Department of Homeland Security has uh, put together a domestic terror intelligence team. We also know that they are uh, uh, looking to private research firms to surveil American citizens. It's all very frightening, and it's happening before our very eyes. And there are very few defenders of normal American people who love this country, love its Constitution, and support President Trump as well and uh, don't feel good about what happened on November 3rd in the election of 2020. Senator Ron Johnson is one of the few exceptions, and he joins us next. So stay tuned. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. I uh, am absolutely committed, as I said last night, uh, as, as I said just now to my colleagues, uh, that we must go forward uh, based on truth. We cannot both uh, embrace the big lie and embrace the Constitution. And going forward, uh, the nation needs it. The nation needs a strong Republican Party. Uh, the nation needs a party that, uh, that is based upon fundamental principles of conservatism. And I am committed and dedicated to ensuring uh, that that's how this party goes forward, and I plan to lead the fight to do that. I will do uh, everything I can to ensure uh, that uh, the former president never again gets anywhere near the Oval Office. We have seen the danger uh, that he continues to provoke with his language, 
Uh, we have seen his lack of commitment and dedication to the Constitution, uh, and I think it's very important that we make sure whomever we elect is somebody who will be faithful to the Constitution. Last question. Congresswoman, do you feel betrayed by today's vote? I do not. I think that uh, it is uh, an indication of where the Republican Party is, uh, and I think that the party uh, is in a place that we've got to bring it back from, and we've got to get back to a position where uh, we are a party that can fight for conservative principles, that can fight for substance. We cannot be dragged backward uh, by uh, the very dangerous lies of a former president. Thank, Thank you, you. All right, Sandy Rios with you. What a strange time. Uh, we're living in Liz Cheney, who used to be a strong conservative, uh, talking about truth, uh, talking about any question about the election being a big lie, talking about the fact that if you believe there was a problem with the election, you can't believe in the Constitution. It's very strange. And so sometimes in the midst of all this, we need someone who sees clearly and has common sense. And uh, that brings to mind our next guest. Uh, it's Senator Ron Johnson from the great state of Wisconsin. Uh, Senator Johnson is in the news a lot, and I'm grateful. Every time he says something, it makes a great deal of sense. Uh, he was elected to the Senate in uh, 2010. I remember that, and I was very happy when he was elected. He's a businessman. <clears throat> he is now currently the chairman of the Senate Committee on Homeland and Governmental Affairs. He's also a member of the Committees on Budget, Commerce, and Foreign Relations and chairman of the European Subcommittee. And uh, so he has his finger all over the place. Senator Johnson, thank you for joining us this morning. Well, Sandy, hope you're doing well. Yeah, no, we're doing well, except for the news. We're doing well. <laughs> okay, so Liz Cheney says that any question about the election of November 3rd of 2020 is, is a big lie, and that's what the press says. I'm wondering, I know what your position is on it, but I'd love your response to her. If you were talking to her, what would you say? Well, first of all, my guiding principle is the truth. When I ran in 2010, I uh, made a promise to Wisconsinites so that I made two promises. I'll always tell you the truth, and I'll never vote with my re-election in mind. And by extension, that means I'm not going to conduct myself uh, with my re-election in mind. So, again, all I'm trying to do is, is relay the truth to the American public. Part of the problem we have is it's very difficult to d determine what is truth. When you have a media and a social media that is so grotesquely biased, when they are censoring individuals left and right, um, now, I mean, just right, but I mean, they're only censoring the right, uh, and they're, they're pretty well, uh, as Judge Silverman said, that the broadsheet of the Democrat Party, uh, it's, it's very difficult to determine what the truth is. And so, what I, listen, I, I love Dick Cheney. I, I, I love his wife. I, you know, I've got a lot of respect for Liz Cheney. I really do. Um, but I think where she is, is offending, certainly conservatives, is, is when she paints a broad brush and pretty well implying the rest of us are not interested in the truth, and, and we're all uh, signing up for a big lie. You know, there's, there's, there's no lie when we start talking about the fact that observers couldn't observe, that we had, for example, in Arizona, which is one of the reasons I pushed to, to object to the Arizona electors first. Now, again, I, I didn't vote to reject them, but I wanted to have the debate uh, surrounding the fact that the, the Ninth Circuit usurped the constitutional responsibility authority of the state legislature when they overturned any election registration law, it was on the books for 30 years. And then you saw what the Maricopa County Board of, of Elections or whatever that, that group was called, how they completely have ignored the Arizona State Senate. Uh, those are important constitutional issues to discuss 
And I, you know, I, I, I part ways with people that, particularly in our party, that scornfully dismiss the legitimate concerns of tens of millions of Americans who, who you know, have eyes, have ears. They take a look at what happened during the election. You get, got five or six big Democrat-controlled counties. They're the only, apparently the only counties in America that can't get the votes tallied at a reasonable point in time, and they have to do it and do all their counting in the wee hours of the morning. It just looks bad. It, it looks suspicious. It makes people ask questions. And again, I, I support people who are asking questions. I don't, know what the, I don't know what the ultimate truth is here. I think it's very interesting what is happening in Maricopa County right now. If, if, if the Democrats were so confident that there was no problems in the election, they ought to be cooperating you know, fully with what the, the Arizona state legislature is trying to do in terms of forensic audit. Really, should their attitude be, listen, we are going to prove you guys wrong, that our election was was completely clean, and we're going to prove it. We're going to fully cooperate with your forensic audit. But that's not exactly what they're doing, is it? No, and I think uh, just the fact that the Maricopa County officials right now are saying that they will not release the passwords along with Dominion, they won't give the people recounting the passwords, even though there was a subpoena to make them do that, uh, the fact that the Justice Department is now interceding makes you suspicious. How in the world? I'm with you. It's common sense that if the, if nothing happened, then let them recount. Uh, same thing, you know, uh, there's this recount going on in this uh, county in New Hampshire where they found it's just a small race. It was a challenge by Democratic, uh, I think, congressional candidate or maybe a local race who only lost by 20 votes and they ordered a recount. And now they're finding that their machines were adding 300 uh, taking away 300 votes from every Republican candidate and giving 100 to every Democratic candidate. That count is happening right now in New Hampshire. So, and Senator, I, this happened in your state too, Wisconsin. I felt that the uh, the hearings, uh, by, and sometimes they were official, sometimes they were off campus from the, from the uh, state houses, of people who were experts and watched the balloting and saw all kinds of things happen that were untoward. I thought those were very compelling. I think didn't you guys have hearings in your state as well? Well, our, our state legislators stepping up the plate. And by the way, that's that's where we really do need to look at this with a great deal of care is, is the state legislatures. That the state legislatures that are given the constitutional authority to set the times, manners, and place of elections. Not not the federal government. It's the state legislatures. And again, that, that has been usurped in so many cases. Quite honestly, some state legislators have also abdicated their responsibility. I mean, here in Wisconsin, to a certain extent, that's what's happened. We kind of outsourced a lot of these decisions to Wisconsin Election Commission. That is, you know, when, when you have a deadlock tie, which happens all the time, it's, it's the radical left staff of the Wisconsin Election Commission that makes the decisions, which, uh, again, we had, we had COVID. I think the left took full advantage of it to push what they've always wanted to push is, is earlier and earlier voting, more and more absentee and mail-in balloting, and at the same time, relax all the controls to, to make sure that absentee balloting doesn't result in what Jimmy Carter and James Baker and their commission said is, is probably the, the greatest source of fraud or potential for fraud in the elections, absentee balloting. That's what the left is pushing. Again, it, it, it makes you wonder what is pulling off here. And again, from my standpoint, I wish... Democrats were fully involved in the Maricopa County recount because then we could all take a look at the result and say, okay, we have confidence in it, no matter what the result is. If, if they prove that they're, they're really 
you know, that was your fact, accurate vote count, that would be a good thing to know. And it'd be good to know that you have Republicans and Democrats achieving uh, that result. But now that's not what's going to happen. So Democrats are preemptively in Maricopa County making sure that no matter what the, the forensic audit says, they're already saying the conditions that they're not going to accept it. Yeah. <laughs> Again, we, this is an unsustainable state of affairs when no matter who wins, the other side is going to claim there was fraud, there was cheating, it's an illegitimate result. We just lived through this for four years where the Democrats simply would not accept President Trump as a legitimate president. And now it's happening again. Again, it's an unsustainable state of affairs. Well, and the other thing is it's it's not even just a disagreement about whether the election was free and fair. Uh, Between two blocks of people, some most of are Democrats and most of the ones on the other side are Republicans, it's not a partisan issue. It's now become a political hammer, a dangerous thing. And that kind of makes me think of January 6th and the – uh, the incursion into the Capitol, the aftermath of that. Uh, I, I'm, you probably heard this story, Senator, but, uh, you know, there's one boy, he was 17 years old, who has been arrested by, I don't know, uh, the, the authorities, because he went into the Capitol on January 6th. He was homeschooled. He was with his mom and dad. They didn't go inside, but he did. Uh, and uh, they arrested him, and he's been in held in D.C. in the jail I, I don't know if he's been released now, but he was held for a couple of months at least. And they would not release him to his parents because they interrogated his parents as well, even though they didn't go into the Capitol. And they said they couldn't release him to them because they, of their belief, that the November election was not legally uh, decided. And so they said, with that dangerous ideology, we can't release this child to his parents. Uh, so the point is, that is... An arbitrary judgment about an opinion on something that is becoming dangerous. And that that's, brings us to the conversation today. I don't know what we do when they turn this. You can't think. You can't even think that the November election might not have been fair. You can't think that or you will be punished. That's kind of where we are. So the, the First Amendment of the Constitution guarantees the right to free speech and peaceably, peaceable assembly. Now, again, as you're describing these two parents, it sounds like they peacefully assembled. Uh, listen, I, I, I was not happy with people that breached the Capitol. Uh, but what I do know is, is a large number of those people that got inside the Capitol just walked into open doors. It, you know, there was certainly a pitched battle. There was certainly violence. I condemned it at the time. I continued to condemn it because it cut, you know, for a host of reasons. Uh, but, but one of those is it cut short the, the very necessary debate we needed to have Again, about unelected courts and other officials usurping the constitutional authority of state legislatures. So I'm not happy with the people that breached, but we need to protect people's First Amendment rights to free speech and peacefully assemble. And and how about, you know, corollary to free speech is the ability to think what you want to think. And that's what you're really referring to. Now, the FBI is, is taking, the Justice Department is taking action because of what somebody thinks. You know, just understand how incredibly dangerous this is. I mean, this this is 1984. This is, uh, you, know, you know, these are these dystopian books coming to fruition, you know, becoming our new reality. This ought to frighten every American. I agree. And I want to make the point that uh, you are one of the precious few voices, certainly in the Senate, 
uh, but even in the House, that's actually coming to the defense of the, I think there were 200 people arrested, something like that. And many of them, we don't know exactly how many, I've heard an estimate of 60, are being held in solitary confinement, some of them as much as 23 out of 24 hours a day in D.C. jails, uh, unable to uh, post bail, unable to be free because they were there on January 6th. You have, uh, I want to emphasize, Senator Johnson, what you have done. A lot of my listeners actually were there on January 6th. Uh, because they actually care about the country. They love it. And contrary to what Liz Cheney says, they love the Constitution and they believe that the election was not fairly uh, decided. And so um, many of them have suffered a great deal, and now they're, you know, some are losing their travel privileges. Uh, it's really gotten out of hand. And I want them to know that you have been a champion on this. I have in my hand probably close to a dozen letters that you have written to the various players and the January 6th drama. And I want to talk about those just for a second. Did you, you held hearings, did you not? Well, I was part of a hearing. I, we, we lost the majority, and so I was, I'm no longer chair of uh, the Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs, but uh, that committee combined with the, had a combined hearing with the Rules Committee, and we, we had two hearings on this. And, of course, you know, one of the things I entered into the record in the first hearing was J. Michael Waller's eyewitness account. Uh, a different perspective, you know, obviously uh, not confirming the narrative that the, you know, the left wants on January 6th, that there were thousands of armed insurrectionists, you know, just an, you know, an unstoppable force that, uh, you know, stormed the Capitol intent on overthrowing the government. That, you know, again, that just isn't what happened here. And so, uh, you know, the, the, the chairwoman of the committee after, after the hearing immediately went to the cameras and said, okay, here, here, here goes Senator Johnson once again. Mr. Conspiracy Theory, entering conspiracy theory into our record. No, I entered an eyewitness account from a knowledgeable observer. J. J. Michael Waller is a professor of political warfare at Fort Bragg. He went to to Washington, D.C., went to the Capitol on January 6th to observe, and he observed and he wrote out his eyewitness account in 14 pages before he ever listened to a news account. I think it's an important perspective uh, to entering the record. But again, I got vilified for entering the truth into the record. It, it is amazing, by the way, how often you get vilified for just speaking the truth. Well, you it's would not know about that. Thing to do apparently anymore. No, you would know. You would know. I mean, there's so many things that we could talk about. Your position on masking and uh, vaccinations, your position on uh, the, the election, all kinds of things. And that's really, honestly, it's a breath of fresh air, Senator. And I just can't say enough about how grateful I am to you for your courage because there's a downside for those of you serving in Washington right now if you speak the truth and we'll talk about that more but when we come back I want to stay there's a new uh, video out this morning about what happened on January 6th and maybe you even haven't heard it so we're going to play that and talk some more my guest is Senator Ron Johnson uh, who's been all over this uh, January 6th calling things honestly as they are and we'll return with our discussion in a minute Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Sandy Rios back with you. It's our privilege to have Senator Ron Johnson with us this morning from Wisconsin. Senator Johnson has been uh, a truth speaker. And again, that's very dangerous in Washington right now. Very controversial. And he has been one of the greatest champions of uh, those of you who were there on January 6th, 
uh, trying to defend the president, believing that the election was falsely decided or wrongly decided or the, the methods were not uh, acceptable and the, the courts would not look at the evidence and all of it. Uh, and some of you ended up in a lot of trouble. And uh, he was just talking to Mike, Mike Waller's piece, which we spent a great deal of time on. After this happened, we did an open line. Many of you told us your own stories that comported with Mike, what, what Mike was reporting, that just regular people were there on January 6th. Uh, and, and so just this morning, or just uh, yesterday, in my inbox, uh, a video showed up of uh, inside the U.S. Capitol on that date. Now, so far, we've seen a lot of uh, dreadful videos of um, what looks like violence, certainly scuffles, um, and this, these are the videos that the news media and the left has used uh, to paint people that went into the Capitol as insurrectionists. Uh, but a newly obtained video has just been released, and what you're going to hear, it sounds like a scramble, but you'll hear some things. You'll hear the voice of uh, one of the protesters, um, and you'll hear the voice of um, Capitol Policeman Keith Robichaud, uh, telling uh, Chansley, that's Jacob Chansley, he's the, he's the guy that dresses in the fur and has the, the horns. You'll hear his voice as well. In fact, he's the last voice you'll hear. And what you'll hear is not exactly what the press has been telling us. Let's listen. The police here are willing to work with us and cooperate peacefully like our First Amendment allows. Gather more Americans under the condition that they will come and gather peacefully to discuss what needs to be done to save our country. We're going to be heard. Everybody, this must be peaceful. This has to be peaceful. We have the right to peacefully assemble. All right. Now, the officer says, we're not against. No attacking. No assault. Remain calm. And then you hear the voice of Chansley last. This has to be peaceful. We have the right to peacefully assemble. Uh, Senator Johnson, I don't know if you'd had a chance to see that or not, but uh, that's just part of the thousands of hours of video that were taken inside the Capitol that we have not seen yet. What can you tell us about that? Well, first of all, because I have to keep saying this or else I'll get even more attacked. You know, I condemn the violence that occurred. And, and we saw some just repulsive and reprehensible violence and racial slurs, all that type of thing. But at the same time, you know, even on that day, I'm seeing protesters you know, walking through the, the rotunda, staying within the, the ropes. <laughs> uh, you, know, you know, we know there was a pitch battle in the tunnel where the presidents come out from the inauguration on the west side of the Capitol. And that, that continued for literally a couple hours. But at the same time, you could tell that it really wasn't a coordinated armed attack because literally those people, had they just kind of gone off to the side, they could have entered a door that, that would have been opened. And they could, they could have streamed in along with the hundreds of other people that just went into the Capitol without any confrontation whatsoever. So there's no doubt about it that the, the Democrat House impeachment managers and the media have, have taken the most violent clips and they run them over and over again. And of course, they exclude the nonviolent aspects. They don't show the, the, the jovial and, and the joyful, you know, the, the tens of thousands of people, elderly individuals, family members, people who love America, waving, you know, American flags and, uh, you know, make America great uh, Hats, you know, sporting those things. They're not showing those people that, that certainly I saw at Trump rallies, the, the God-fearing, the American-loving, the law enforcement-supporting individuals. 
which is one of the reasons on January 6th, even though I knew there could be tens of thousands of people coming there to put pressure on me to vote a certain way, um, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't afraid. And, of course, I, I got all kinds of trouble for saying that I never felt threatened. Well, the truth is, I never felt threatened. You know, I didn't have a, a bird's-eye view. I wasn't seeing those, those parts of violence. And, again, I, I, I would also defend, to a certain extent, uh, the people that, that also uh, didn't plan on it because they, again, understood that these were Trump protesters, the people support law enforcement. But one of the ways I've gotten in trouble, uh, I didn't get in trouble when I pointed out the fact that you know, all these storefronts in major metropolitan areas were boarded up, not in the event that Joe Biden became president. Then I went a little further on, on, a, on a different radio show where I said, again, I was defending the fact that I didn't feel threatened. I said, no, however, uh, had the tables been turned and, and Donald Trump won, and, and those would have been the, and I'll, I'll use the term, left-wing protesters, the, the, the people that rioted in more than 500 uh, other cases during the summer, I might have been a little concerned. You know, but, but for stating that objective truth, again, you get completely vilified uh, for just telling the truth. So what I'm trying to do, Sandy, is with my investigative staff, you know, reviewing the video uh, at Capitol Police, which they're not making available to the public because uh, you have, you know, all these criminal charges. Uh, I want to recreate, fully recreate what happened on January 6th. So we have an accurate historical record. And, and again, I think people see it wasn't thousands of armed insurrections. Again, I, I know that the leftist protesters certainly showed us how you can use flagpoles as, as, a, as a weapon. But when I think of armed, I think of firearms. And in the second hearing of that of the joint committee hearing, when I asked an FBI witness how many firearms were confiscated either in the Capitol or Capitol grounds, the FBI witness said none. Uh, now we found out the Capitol Police may have confiscated the, you know, a few, a few, but we still didn't have the circumstances around that. I haven't heard anything, any arms confiscated in the Capitol. Yeah, you know, I actually Julie Kelly has been writing about this from American Greatness, and she reviewed all the, well, uh, most of the records of 200 arrests, and she said the deadly and dangerous weapons. That's how they're describing them. Included two baseball bats, a can of pepper spray, a walking stick an axe, a few fire extinguishers, one was in question, a helmet, a riot shield, and a collapsible baton. And that was, that was the dangerous weapons that, um, that were described, uh, that they found. So, and if only one firearm, and that was the, I mean, only one firearm was used, and that was by the, we think, a Capitol policeman. We're not quite sure. What do, do we know any more about that, Senator Johnson? Do you know who shot um, uh, the, uh, the American veteran and killed her? I don't. Uh, I've heard, I've seen news accounts that uh, they describe the individual, but uh, I don't have any first-hand knowledge of that. Okay, Ashley Babbitt. Yeah. All right. So, and you've, you know, you say you've asked your staff to do an account. I can verify. I can um, verify from reading your letters here to the various actors in there that you guys are being extremely thorough. You have. I, I'm just. I'm curious to know if you found out anything. You've asked a lot of questions. You ask uh, some from. Yogananda Pittman, who's the acting chief of police, she seems to be the only one that actually responded to you. But you've asked the uh, sergeant of arms in both the House and the Senate to respond, like, what happened? Uh, did you, uh, who told you not to use the National Guard? Those kinds of questions. Have you found out anything that we don't know, that th that's not general knowledge, about what happened, that, the, that they were so ill-prepared on that day? 
Uh, I don't have a complete picture, so I don't want to really start revealing kind of some incomplete pieces of information we have determined. You know, part of my strategy here in terms of the oversight letters is to any commission that may be established or, you know, the, the committees now, in, you know, who are run by Democrats, I want to kind of put pressure on anybody investigating this to make sure they're asking the right questions, that, 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 that they don't uh, just dismiss so many of these things. Let's face it, there's an awful lot of interest. Uh, the people that were in charge from the standpoint of law enforcement, you know, congressional leaders on both sides of the aisle, uh, there are a lot of people that are probably pretty happy with the thousands of armed insurrectionist story, because then that pretty well relieves them of any culpability. So, you know, I'm hearing about this vote on a, on a commission. Okay, now you have, you know, equal membership, but the commissioners would be appointed by congressional leadership. Uh, I don't think that's a, I don't think that's going to be an independent commission. Uh, no, I don't either. <laughs> and, and, and the person, and, 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 yeah. go ahead. No, I was just going to say that the person that they put in charge, the Republican that they placed to negotiate on this commission that they've just they've asked for in the House uh, is a is a never Trumper. Cat Coe, I think his name is from New York. He's a Republican from New York, but he's a never Trumper. You know, so and he already he spoke out against the January 6th uh, incursion immediately. So that's the kind of Republican we have. Uh, They've got an even, as you said, an evenly split commission. I don't think this is going anyplace good. And I think, you know, one of the things that one of the things that just enrages me, honestly, Senator, is uh, when I think about people languishing in those jails in D.C., I can hardly bear it. They will not allow them bail. And uh, there may be some that have gotten out, but I think there's 60, like I said, still incarcerated. And the, the charges against them are so. Now, look, there may be exceptions to this. I don't know what the charges against every person. But the ones that I've heard about are so very thin. Not, not, these are not criminals who could not be released on bail. What can we do to help them? What, what can people do? What can you do as a senator? Well, and particularly when you compare that to the charges being dismissed against the summer rioters. Uh, so I'm, I'm highly concerned about the unequal administration of justice. Now, the first line of defense for those individuals are literally their, their defense lawyers. Uh, and you mentioned uh, this Ms. Kelly, who is uh, you know, really monitoring the court records. So is my staff. Uh, you know, the charges will be made public, so we need to monitor that. Um, I actually appreciate the fact that Senator Dick Durbin is a little concerned about the solitary confinement. And he, I think he's written a letter as well. So it, it's all about transparency. It's about making these, these things public and making the comparison between the people that uh, committed crimes or being charged or being held on January 6th versus, you know, what happened during the more than 500 riots that, uh, you know, killed about two dozen people, 700 law enforcement individuals were injured, about $2 billion of property damage. It is amazing the way the news media and the, and the, the left just completely ignores that. You know, they want everybody to forget those riots and concentrate solely on what happened on January 6th. Yeah. Well, of course, and the, the repercussions of it are so much greater. It's, uh, it's even gr- a greater concern. It's certainly the people there on the front lines, the ones that are in jail right now. Uh, but the, whole, the repercussion is that this is going to come down like a hammer. If the left gets their way, and they so far are getting their way in everything, 
This is going to come down badly for people who love this country, who actually love the Constitution, who went there to exercise their First Amendment rights. It's going to be hard on you, Senator Johnson, to serve in that Senate. It's hard on people in the House serving under Nancy Pelosi. Uh, It's becoming draconian and dangerous, uh, charges and accusations flying. And this whole creation of this uh, domestic violent terrorist, the emphasis on Homeland Security and the FBI, say a word about that. Uh, in the minutes we have left. Are you concerned about that, that whole push to uh, that domestic violent extremism is our greatest threat? Well, absolutely. Of course, that is exactly why they're vilifying people like me. Anybody willing to push back on this narrative of thousands of armed insurrectionists, anybody that questioned the fact we had two layers of eight-foot-high fencing, concertina wire-tipped fencing around the Capitol, that, that was all orchestrated to paint a broad brush to make as many Americans believe that the 75 million Americans that voted for Donald Trump are suspect, that that they may be domestic terrorists, that if given an opportunity, they will involve themselves in an armed insurrection. Nothing could be further from the truth, but that is exactly what the left, that's what the news media, that's what the social media, that is what they're pushing. That's the narrative that they don't want to see disturbed. But, you know, Sandy, I, I am hopeful as more information comes out. You know, I traveled all over Wisconsin this weekend. I, I talked to a number of people that were there in Washington. And as, as you said, people called into your show uh, pretty well telling the story like Mike Waller told. So the, the vast majority of people were peaceful protesters. And by the way, that's also true of the, the BLM protests in the summer. The vast majority of people that, that participate in those peacefully protest. But... There was a, a group in the summer riots, as well as on January 6th, of, of agitators, of rioters that committed acts of violence. Those are the people on both sides that should be held accountable, and they should be prosecuted equally, yeah. well, not equal, not unequally. And so I'm concerned about the Mayor Garland and Department of Homeland Security, certainly under Mayorkas, who... Uh, It was unbelievable, his testimony for our committee just on the border. I I don't have faith in these people. They will administer justice equally. We we don't either. They they will. And that's that's why we are so grateful that you are there, Senator Johnson. And if there's anything we can do to support you further in any way, please let us know. Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, this is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.